Hello, thank you all for tuning in. I am Camille Broderick, and this is Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 FM, Nantucket's NPR station. On this show, I talk about all things Epicurean on this island, from the chefs and farmers to the wine experts and craftsmen of tasty delights. We love to get the insight from all these passionate people who are part of the food and wine community here on Nantucket. However, today on the show, we have someone who doesn't work on the island. In fact, he has never been to the island, but he is a want-to-be Nantucketer, I, I imagine. <laughs> but considering he has only heard through word of mouth about this special place, he may give us a unique perspective, which I think is quite fun, because for those of us who have been here year after year, maybe we wish we could experience it again for the first time. But even more than that, he can give us a national perspective on what is going on in the wine world. With great honor, I would like to welcome Ray Isle, the executive editor of Food & Wine Magazine. Hello, Ray. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I am just so pleased that you are, you are here to join us. <laughs> I'm, I'm psyched. I, you know, it, I, it's sort of like being in Nantucket, you know, kind of by virtually or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's so funny about this. So uh, as I first asked you to be on the show or we kind of asked each other, we kind of made it work. But I, I, I was curious about the connection to Nantucket. You you have spent time uh, in New England, but you were originally from from Houston. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm originally from Texas, and I, I grew up in Texas, and and then spent you know sort of post college spent a bunch of years bouncing around the country. Um, prior to being in wine, um, I was I was a grad student, and uh, part of that time was in Boston. Um, so I, I spent you know a, a good three years in Boston, uh, four years actually, uh, either being in grad school or else um, kind of figuring out what to, what to do next after grad school. But somehow I never, I never made it to Nantucket. Um, during that time, I did make it to that other Island that, that people go to um, all, you know, <laughs> nearby, but uh, we will talk about that. <laughs> uh, good. So far you're doing a good job. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about and, that other Island. No. Yeah. That's and so, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a transplanted Texan. Um, I, I do, I live in New York currently and I, and I, and then I, I zoom straight past Nantucket and, and spend part of the summer in Maine every year. So uh, I, I'm obviously making a large mistake in some context. <laughs> so, so wait, you considering your role, um, you haven't been to the Nantucket Wine Festival. I'm sure you've been to others. Is there a reason you haven't gone, or you, it's just a matter of scheduling and timing? It's, it's kind of been a matter of, of of chance. You know, part of the part of the thing is that um, Food and Wine, the magazine that I work for sponsors a lot of wine events or wine and food events around the country. And, and for whatever reason, Nantucket is not one of the ones we've ever sponsored. And that's, that's in that sort of realm of business stuff that, that I, you know, I couldn't begin to tell you why that one and not another one, but it's, it's been frustrating to me because I know a lot of people in the wine business and I know a lot of people who've been to the Nantucket um, wine festival and love it and keep going back year after year. And, and they keep, it's like, you know, people from, particularly people from California, are like, why don't you go? You should go. It's great. <laughs> it's time to turn up. And uh, but it's still on my, it's on my sort of bucket list of, of, of wine festivals I haven't been to that I need to get to at some point. Right. The main ones are what, Aspen? And then is it Miami? Is well, there... so Aspen, Aspen, food and wine, um, our, our sort of signature event is, is the um, uh, classic in Aspen, the food and wine classic in Aspen, which has been going for 35, 40 years and is, is one of the one of the first. I mean, I don't know how long Nantucket's been going on, but we were one of the first food and wine festivals around the country. We started at you know 300 people, um, among them you know uh, Julia Child and people like that. But I mean, and now it's about 5,000, and it takes over the town, and that's really kind of capped at that because that's all the town can hold. And the other big ones are you know the Miami, South Beach is huge. Um, it's more of a 
it's it's much more of a food festival and a, and a kind of a, a TV star food festival than a than a dedicated wine festival. Um, it's you know Rachel Ray is there, um, people like Guy Fieri. We do sponsor that one as well. Um, the big wine festival. There's a, there's a great one in Pebble Beach, um, California. Um, I'm a I'm a fan. There's a there's a quirky, tiny little one in the Cayman Islands, which happens to occur in, in January. Which, if you live in the Northeast, is a really really nice time <laughs> to get to get out of the Northeast and, and you know and drink wine down in, in, a, in a Caribbean island. Yes, um, note note to self. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Note to self. It's you know it's it's, it's, it's kind of a it's perfect excuse. But um, you know there there are a lot of there actually there are far far more food and wine and or food and wine festivals around the country than there ever were when I was getting into this business. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy if you look back, you know, 20 years and said, you know, I could get 6,000 people to come to a wine festival. People would look at you and think you're, you're out of your mind. You know, it's like, there's no way you get that many people. And, and now things of that size sell out. People, you know, travel the country to get to them. And it's a, it's kind of a example of how, wine has become a much bigger and much more familiar part of kind of the American culinary culture than it, you know, than it used to be. Well, that's, it, it, it must be amazing to see and witness all that. So you started, uh, let's talk about your background and how you became the editor there. That's, that's quite an achievement. How does that, how does one get that role? How did, what did well, you? I mean, luck and being in the right place. <laughs> no, I, Isn't you know, that what life's about? That's that's exactly what life's about. No, it's it's funny, you know. I didn't I didn't grow up in a wine drinking family in the slightest. It was more like you know, beer and bourbon occasionally. Um, and when I was in New England, when I was in Boston in grad school, I was there in, on the you know creative writing. So I was I was the writing came before the wine. And then what happened was I got a writing fellowship out in California, which put me close to wine country. And I was I'd gotten kind of vaguely interested in wine. I started hanging out at wineries. I started helping out at wineries because the, if you're a grad student, you have no money, and the best yet expensive wine if you have no money is to work at a winery and help with bottlings and things, and they pay you in wine. Um, and then I got much more interested in wine and eventually just kind of decided to change my complete course in life and switch to wine from academia. And uh, and then a number, a couple of... Um, and then a couple of... Um, you know, unexpected uh, things. I, I ended up getting a job in wine in New York, despite the fact I was living in California. And then I was freelancing as a writer, and the wine and the writing came together when I was hired by a magazine called Wine and Spirits, um, which was a huge break. And I was very, very fortunate to get it. And I was, you know, worked there for a few years and then was hired away kind of by Food and Wine. And I've been at Food and Wine now for 10 years, I guess. Um, wow, so it's <laughs> just kind of two forks in the road that you actually brought together. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, the, the, the weird thing is that, you know, it's that total kind of, you know, unpredictability of life. If I hadn't, you know, if I'd gotten a graduate fellowship um, in writing in, in Michigan or Iowa or, or anywhere other than the West Coast, I wouldn't be in the wine business. <laughs> so it just happened. I happened to get a, you know, an English fellowship that was close to wine country. And uh, and there it was. Um, so well, things it's a, it's keep a, linking to to one thing to the next, and I, I do wonder, like you said, you ha- you haven't made it to Nantucket yet. So, being this is the question I, everyone always wants to ask. So, what is the impression of of Nantucket from all your experience, from an outsider, from a food and wine perspective? Have you? How do you think about the island in terms of the island itself, and well, then the food and wine culture that's developed there? Well, it's funny, you know, in terms of thinking about the island, I think, you know, I'm sure that there's a year-round community, but I think of it, you know, and this is from my external point of view, I think of it much more as, you know, a place that people go 
you know, in summer and in in probably late spring and in early fall because of the, you know, because it's, it's it seems you know it's from a distance it seems sort of beautiful and and, and slightly an escape from the urban you know surroundings of Boston and um and so you know it's funny having spent time now in a in a in, in Maine in a you know occasionally in the summer community and and knowing that there's a a thriving life that happens outside of the summer I'm, I'm sure the same thing was happening in Nantucket and then. The other thing is that I, you know, I'm why without having been there, um, knowing that the wine festival goes on, you can't support that kind of level of of wine festival and, and interest in wine without there being a, a a local kind of you know infrastructure of interest in food and interest in wine to 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 build that to begin with. And so it kind of makes me think there, you know, there's probably a lot to explore that I haven't. Um, <laughs> haven't haven't by virtue of never having gotten to the island um you know haven't haven't found out about and so you know the day that i do make it to the festival i'm also going to spend some time just you know cruising around seeing what else there is absolutely and if you're just listening we're speaking with ray isle he's the executive wine editor of food and wine magazine we we're lucky to have him on the show and this is camille's demi hour on 89.5 nantucket's npr station like you were saying coming to nantucket uh for the festival you would need to explore the other restaurants and things that we have here because I do think about I spent time in New York and that's how we first met and I do feel that Nantucket has so many amazing restaurants it's like a cosmopolitan little city right there and I don't know if anyone's told you that but it's almost as if you just took the West Village and even amazing restaurants and just put them together and they're all right there in downtown Nantucket yeah well it seems like it would have the the, the restaurant density without you know um Without several million people crowded into you and and you know the trash occasionally on the streets and 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 all the things you get in New York that that you kind of wish you didn't get um you know it's it's quite <laughs> obviously beautiful from you know from everything visual I've seen so you know um it's a it's a you know it's interesting I think that the other thing is that what's happening and 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 or has happened over the past ten or fifteen years twenty years maybe and is happening now in in Communities around the U.S. and not just island, you know, places like Nantucket, um, but but smaller cities that that weren't a kind of a food mecca like New York has, has been or San Francisco has been. You know, there's there's a lot of of really interesting, thriving, you know, um, and and often kind of groundbreaking food scenes going on in just of you know islands and destinations you would never expect. And it's you know it's it's part of what's shifted in the U.S. where there's this kind of much bigger interest in, in cooking and in chefs and in restaurants and in wine. And, and that, you know, is not just an urban thing anymore. It's, you know, it's, it, it happens in small towns too. It happens anywhere that there's, you know, uh, people who are, who are, you know, <laughs> love to eat and love to drink wine. So it's, um, it's a pretty cool thing to see. It's, you know, if, if you got into this business, which I did in the late nineties and, you know, grew up in the you know seventies and so on, you know, the 70s weren't like this. <laughs> there wasn't this kind of food culture. Well, I do believe that there has been a renaissance that has happened over time, probably over the past decade or so. Perhaps you would agree with the farm-to-table movement, the cocktail revolution. Uh, there's just been a lot happening with, I think, the attention with the Food Network and um, all these more celeb chefs and cocktail mixologists, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been a massive revolution, both in terms of, of, of what we like, sort of what, what we like to cook and eat and, and and the attention we give to where products are sourced from and you know the, and 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 their 
kind of character and quality, I guess you'd say. It's like, you know, the, the, all of these things tie together. It's, you know, chefs have become interested in, um, you know, sourcing food, whether it's local, whether it's, you know, organic, this kind of thing. We've become interested in chefs. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a, and, and wine, which is interesting, tends to follow, I, I think tends to follow food. It kind of follows the food trends by, you know, several years. So, you know, as, as people got, you know, really interested in, in, in food and in chefs and in, in, in that kind of thing about, you know, several years later, they started getting interested in wine as well. And you see, you know, kind of consumption in the U S of wine gradually rising and rising and rising. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an exciting time. If you, if you happen to be in the, in the food and wine world, it's also an exciting time. If you, if you just like to eat and drink, that is, that is true. And it must make your job a little bit easier, too, or maybe more challenging because you have so much material. And I think the rise of cocktail bars isn't necessarily new, but it's how do you profile and, 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 and highlight what is happening. So how, yeah. what, what do you do in your day-to-day? I'm sure everyone thinks you drink wine every day, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, I do I'm sure you have to wine. taste wine almost every day. <laughs> I do. I do, in fact, drink wine most days, and I and I taste wine a lot. Of, a lot of days, there you know, there are days when we're doing production on the magazine where I don't taste wine. But I, you know, there's there are many, many days where I'm, you know, at the office at 10 a.m. tasting 20 Chardonnays or something. And you know, it sounds it it, it sounds absurd on some level, but it it, it is working for me. You know, it's you know, it's the tasting 20 bad Chardonnays is not something anybody wants to start their day with. Tasting 20 good ones is much more interesting. Um, you know, it, and it, but you have to kind of, you know, you, if you do what I do, you spit everything as well when you're, when you're actually working because it, it, um, otherwise you end up on the floor, you, you wouldn't be able to function. And you also kind of lose your discernment as you get, you know, if you drink everything, you kind of lose the ability to differentiate. Um, but you know, it's, my days are a mix of, of tasting wine and, and, and interviewing winemakers and, and occasionally traveling for stories and so on. And then, and then the mechanics of, of writing about it and trying to, or trying to find stories that, that talk about something that hasn't been talked about a million times over, or, you know, that is really the exciting cutting edge of, of whether it's the cocktail movement or, you know, an up and coming wine region, which is often funny because, you know, there are up and coming wine regions in Europe, for instance, like the Jura in, in France, which is, is very you know cool right now. Of course, they've been making wine in the Jura for 700 years, <laughs> so it's blaring up and coming is a little bit comical. But but it's at least it's at least up and coming in the context of people in the U.S. buying wine. So you know so you, can, you can say that if nothing else. <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? As I went to the Jura, what maybe four three years ago when the sommeliers were really into that region. And it's funny to see it slowly gain this popularity because it seems as though it was in that pocketed knowledge of sommeliers and people who were selling wine and trying to see, I think selling a new profile of Chardonnay maybe from France that was unique. Um, And then, but you can see the ripple effect and how it has become more popular and it has become a more of a mainstream name. Absolutely. And, and you see that, you know, you see that also with, with, with larger regions like the Loire Valley, which was, was a little bit overlooked in the U.S. for a long time. And, and largely because of something that's interest in it, um, you know, it, it's, it's really come back in an interesting way. You know, it, it, it's funny because Sancerre was something that everybody knew and everybody drank. And then and still, and still, and still, a lot of people still love it. And, and the rest of the Loire Valley, which is quite large, it's one of the biggest wine regions in France, was essentially, you know, overlooked in this country. And then, all the sommeliers at restaurants who are who are kind of the, the you know they're they're a little bit the canary in the coal mine for new trends and or, or forgotten wine regions, you know they they 
seemed like there was a kind of mass awareness suddenly that maybe we should look at Muscadet, maybe we should look at Chinon, maybe we should look at, you know, um, you know, all these other regions in the Loire that no one's looking at. And, you know, Sancerre, great, but, but there are 20 other fascinating regions in the Loire um, with right. a lot going on. And that's trickled down to, to people buying in stores and so on. And it's, so it's kind, of, it's kind of fascinating to watch. You know, the, the wine world, the, 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 the total sort of global complexity of wine, I mean, how many regions there are out there and how many different fascinating wines there are is really quite vast. And, you know, as a country, we still primarily drink Chardonnay. That's like the biggest selling grape in the country, followed by, you know, Cabernet and Merlot, I think. And um, and yet there are so many grapes out there. I mean, Italy alone has, you know, you know 800 or more than 800 native grape varieties. So there's, you know, there's, there's as much effort as you want to put into it, wine rewards it back again with, you know, more to learn about. It's um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great because there's sometimes, I'm sure you feel that you, you go back to certain wines that you like and that you forgot about. And so you can kind of recycle your your wine memory and things that you like. And I imagine that that too is part of your stories and what you can talk about um, both in print and online. Absolutely. And, you know, it, and you see it happen with, 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 with fads or, 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 or sudden Friends. popularity too. Like if you look at, if you look at rosé, dry rosé, not, not white Zinfandel, but dry French rosé, you know, it's become immensely popular. It's like the, the drink of the past two summers. Everybody is drinking rosé all the time, it seems like. And that was, you know, that was just gone for years. And, and suddenly there was this massive, you know, like everybody said, oh my God, we need to drink rosé. And, uh, you know, and so it's kind of fun to watch. And um, Yeah, drink pink is a, is, a, is a theme here on the island. <laughs> drink yeah, pink. <laughs> I've I even heard the term brosé being used about, you know, rosé for guys. <laughs> brosé. <laughs> it's kind of comical. But, uh, yeah, drink pink, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and magnums of rosé, big bottles of rosé become hugely popular, um, which is, is its own weird little subsector of the thing. Um but it's good. It means people are experimenting, and they're, you know, they're, they're. I think there's a greater, I think among wine drinking, people in America, people in the U.S. who drink wine are, are much more experimental than they used to be. There's a lot more willingness to kind of say, I've had Chardonnay, and why don't I try, sure, Vermentino from Italy. It's, I don't know what it is, but I'll give it a shot. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's pretty cool to see. Absolutely. And if you're just listening, we're speaking with Ray Isle. He's the executive wine editor of Food and Wine Magazine. We were lucky to have him on the show. And this is Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. And we have talked a lot about on, on the show about different types of wine. We've done a couple wine tastings. And ultimately, we do want to encourage people to try different wines because there's just so much to taste out there. And like you said, it was uh, it's been a rosé summer, and like last summer, and I think it's going to continue on. Are there other fun trends that you've seen, or any fun stories you're working on right now? Yeah, so I mean, one, I think one of the trends that's 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 happening that's really exciting is is, is the kind of growth of of, um, of wine being produced, you know, outside of the West Coast of the U.S. I think there's a there's much more interesting wine being produced in states that aren't. You know, Oregon, Washington, California. Much as I love them, you know, there's there's kind of a fascinating. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a boom exactly, but you, you've got these regions, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure that the Northeast is quite there yet, partly because of climate. You know, it's a little bit limited by the fact it's cold a lot of the year. But you know, in, in Virginia and Texas and Arizona and you know Idaho and a, a lot of places like this, you're starting to see little clusters of people making really ambitious wines in places that's never been done before, and that's that's pretty cool to see. I think that, you know 
if you look at a country like France, you know, there's great wine being produced all over that country. Um, if you look at the U.S., it's really just the West Coast that people know about. But right. but it's a very big country, and there's a lot of land here and a lot of different climates. And so there's there have to be places that will produce really terrific wines that aren't, you know, aren't California, aren't, you know, um, wherever. So it's, so that's exciting. Um, the other thing, I mean, my little, you know, trendlet that I'm excited about for, for certainly for this, you know, past happy to keep drinking it on into the fall is, is, is chocolate, which is a, um, you know, Spanish, very lightly sparkling sort of tart, um, affordable, delicious wine from, um, you know, from Northern Spain that is, is kind of had a little bit of a mini Renaissance. And it's, you know, it's just one of those perfect drink it at a party, pour it out at a barbecue. People love it. Um, it's white, it's crisp, it's a little bit tingly. Um, and it's, uh, I think I think it's you know it again was a forgotten or, or never even known category that started to get full traction, which is kind of cool. Oh, that sounds delicious! I believe I have tried that before. It's it. I think it hits the palate on many levels, being refreshing and effervescent, and a little bit of some depth because of the rosé um, or the red the red grape behind it. That's that's is the bottle and it, it, it's a is it a screw cap? You know, it, I. I I can't remember if I've seen it in screw caps or not. I mean, that's that's another huge trend is that, you're, is that you now see really good wines in the screw cap. You know, for for years, screw caps were the were basically the definer of the wine that was on the bottom shelf in a big jug. Um, <laughs> and and now, you know, particularly from if you go to Australia, you, you can find a five hundred dollar bottle of wine in a screw cap, which is um, is a huge shift. And so the the I think the stigma associated with it is is kind of vanishing and. So you see, particularly with white wines, you see a lot of good white wines in screw cap, um, and I think a lot less resistance to it at this point. Yeah, it's definitely good for us on the beach out here on the, <laughs> on the <laughs> island. It definitely makes things easier. Well, thank you oh, so much, Ray, for, for being on the show. I hope you had some fun, and um, you are absolutely welcome anytime back, and um, I hope I could maybe even host you at the wine festival next year and show you around. I would I would love to come, so let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, and we'll we'll be talking to you soon then. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you all for listening. Again, this is Camille's Demi Hour, and I am Camille Broderick, and we just had Ray Isle, the executive wine editor from Food & Wine Magazine, on our show today. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy this beautiful, cool weather. And again, cheers. Drink safe and have fun. No time for drinking.